eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He drew inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go, to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! What's happening, who dads? Welcome inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak heading into week nine against the Chicago Bears. Uh, Black and Gold trying to get two straight wins and we're... Talking the f- first week of November already. I mean, it's kind of, I know, week nine, first week of November. Things are, like, really, I think, at its, you know, the peak, and we're coming down, like, n- now, like, the, the, the end of the season kind of, obviously, layout is on its way. This is the all NFC opponents the rest of the way here. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty much officially at the halfway point because there's no technical halfway point of a 17 game right. season. Like halftime of week nine is the halfway point. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're halfway. And it does it's seem great. like the weather decided, oh, it's November now. It's cold, right? Like, you know, we were just in time for a bunch of Bears fans to show up and be like, oh, you think this is cold? <laughs> Although right I think it's going to warm up by Sunday. Yeah, but they're going to come into town in like Thursday and we're all going to be like, Ugh. you know, I'm wearing a sweatshirt, right? Like I am cold because my house, it's impossible. When the temperature outside is below 65, my house is below 65 because that is <laughs> the warmest I can get it is like 63 on a good day. So, yeah, anyway, this is a podcast about not the weather. Um, <laughs> Old man you know, talking getting, weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this first segment, I, you know, I want to talk, you know, last week we talked about, you know, Guy Liner and 
you know, so maybe that's going to be the theme of of uh, of the first couple minutes of these Friday episodes is talking about something silly because I want to talk about you know Mark Davis is super freaking weird and I I kind of went down a rabbit hole on him uh, this 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 week because of all the stuff that's been going on with the Raiders and uh, so I want to talk in, about that a little because there are parallels right like we have Mark Davis's former quarterback right like there's a lot to to talk about in that regard and the um, former head coach. Well, right, right, exactly. Like, there's there's a lot of weird parallels, right? You know, Hunter Renfro, I think the Saints looked into getting him. Like, I thought they probably would, and it didn't work out. But either way, let's we're going to talk a little about that. We're going to also talk about, you know, some of the prep that's been going on. You know, the Saints are facing a lot of quarterbacks this year that they aren't prepared for, and it's kind of strange. Uh, but I, I want to talk about more of that. Second segment, we're going to bring in... Uh, Chris Emma, reporter for 670 The Score and Odyssey, covers the Bears. He's going to give us the lowdown, what to expect. Tyson Bagent, you know, will Montez sweat play, that sort of thing. So that'll be in the second segment. And then in the final segment, I want to talk about Chris Alave a little bit. He talked to reporters on Wednesday in the locker room. It was simultaneous with Derek Carr talking. So I wasn't able to be there, but I did kind of catch up with what he said. And I just, I want to go through some of it because I think it's, you know, you know, it, it's a weird situation for him to be in. He's this highly drafted prospect. Everyone has high expectations for him and he's in a slump right now. And he'll admit that. And that's just, how do you work through that as a young player? I think is interesting. Then obviously as we do every week, we'll go into, we'll go into X factors, but you know, so I just want to, did you see the fake story about how Mark Davis fired Josh McDaniels? Let's start there. The while trick or treating with his family. No. So PFT commenter, he likes to make fake stories. He likes to like put these like fake excerpts out into the world of like what would have been an athletic story, but it's not, it's fake, but it was so potentially true that everyone kind of just shared it around. Like, what is this how it happened? And so what he said was like the story that he put out in the world was that Josh McDaniels likes to dress up for Halloween, which is true. He decided according to PFT commenter to, go to the Raiders facility dressed like Mark Davis. And Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, the eccentric, strange man, was on board with it and sent him his like typical P.F. Chang's lunch because this is a guy who does eat at P.F. Chang's every day. Um, and in the, in, in the excerpt, he had so like that Josh McDaniels opened his fortune cookie and the fortune said, you're fired, hot shot. And that's how he got fired. Now, oh, no, I did it's not, not see true. that. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's not true, but it, it's so in line with what you would come to expect from Mark Davis. <laughs> and he does, like, for example, he does eat at P.F. Chang's every day. He's a weirdo. But I, I love P.F. Chang's. I wish I could afford it. Right. The Raiders fired Josh McDaniels, but not in that way. It is interesting that they waited until after the trade deadline to do it. So to me, that kind of is an indicator that, like, there was some internal turmoil going on with players and you are making a decision of whether you trade those players or you fire the coach and you kind of figure out I, I don't think you want to fire the coach prior to the trade deadline because I think that eliminates a lot of your leverage and if you're trying to get certain assets for a certain player then you fire the head coach it's like throwing chum in the water everyone's going to start circling so I, I think that's why but yeah I mean that's an interesting situation out in with the Raiders and I want to talk more about Mark Davis a little bit but Antonio Pierce Champ Kelly who I you know it sounds like Chip Kelly's like alter ego is champ Kelly or like champ kind sports, uh, whammy. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, well, what did your kind of, well, what did you kind of take away from that? Because, 
you, you're sitting there with Derek Carr as your quarterback, a guy who got ran out of town by the regime that just got fired. And I was like, well, you know, glad I'm not there anymore, right? Yeah, I wonder how, you know, I know Raider fans are actually a lot are disappointed Carr's not there anymore. I wonder how the Raiders organization feels now that, oh, we, we let Derek Carr go after, you know, dealing with Josh McDaniels. And it, we kind of wish we still had him around, especially with, you know, Jimmy G, his health issues, <laughs> man, his, his inability to hit a wide receiver. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, yeah but, go ahead. We, we talked about this, obviously, with the Dennis Allen comparisons. We were when he was head coach there. We talked about the disarray in Raiderland and it hasn't gone away. And D.A. hasn't been the head coach over there for quite some time. Um, I don't know what the Raiders are going to do next, but it's it's one of those organizations you think would be one of the premier run teams in the NFL or a hell of a lot better than they've been over the years. I mean, it's the freaking Raiders for crying out loud. I guess, but I mean, it's like Al Davis was the owner of that team. Then he handed it over to Mark Davis. And, you know, I, and I, I didn't know much about Mark Davis until I went down this rabbit hole. I know he's had a weird haircut. And, totally, totally. you know, the worst billionaire haircut in history. Well, and he apparently drives like long distances to get that haircut. It's not like he doesn't, he get, he cuts his own hair or anything. Like he has a barber that he pays handsomely to give him that haircut most likely against his will. I don't think any barber is like, oh, yes, this is how I am I want to be cutting someone's hair. Like, it's a request. Anyway, but so the more I read about Mark Davis, the more I come to the realization that it's basically like if John Kennedy Toole inherited the Saints. Do you know who John Kennedy Toole is? The Confederacy of Dunces? You know, in New Orleans, they have a statue of the guy. It, 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 like on, on Canal Street near the French Quarter, they actually have a statue. He's wearing the hat. He's got a bird on his head, right? They didn't take that statue down, huh? T-Bob, T-Bob uh, Hebert, his, his Twitter picture right now is actually John Kennedy Tool. Anyway, he's like a New Orleans figure, but he's just a ridiculous character, right? Like he's not a person that you take seriously, but he takes himself seriously. And so you have to – like he, he forces you to account for him in reality. And so this is an excerpt from an ESPN feature on Mark Davis when the, it was the year that they won their final four games and went to the playoffs with Derek Carr. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was the year that they went to the playoffs and Derek Carr got hurt, and so he wasn't there. They lost to the Texans in the playoffs, but they had a good season. Derek Carr had a, had a fringe MVP candidate kind of season. Like, it was probably the best season of his career, and then he broke his leg. And people would say he hasn't been the same since, but either way, this is how, the, this, is how this, this, this goes. Most days start the same behind the wheel of a white 1997 Dodge Caravan SE outfitted with a bubble top Mark three conversion kit, a VHS player mounted to the roof inside and a rate and a R eight H E R S personalized plate. Mark Davis pilots this machine from his East Bay home to the nearest BF Jangs, where he sits at the left end of the bar. Same spot. Every time puts his white fanny pack on the counter, orders an iced tea and unfolds the day's newspapers beside him on the bar. Next to the papers is his 2003 Nokia push button phone with full texting capability. When someone calls and asks him where he is, he says, quote, I'm in my office and sends a knowing nod to the bartenders. It gets them every time, <laughs> which first of all, Great writing. <laughs> Second of all, this isn't that long ago. This is like 2018. Um, and, and it's just like, that's this, this is a, this is a, this is a caricature of a man, right? Like this is not a, you know, he's just, he's just a Raiders fan who's never had a job in his life that got the, that took over the team from his dad. And, you know, 
to his credit, he doesn't try to influence decisions. He says, <laughs> there's another story that at one point he handed the GM a piece of paper, which is like just like ripped into a triangle. And he said, this is what I want. And the coach said, like, what, what are you talking about? And, and he says, I need two corners. Cause he had ripped the corners off the paper. Like that's, that's the level of involvement he has in the decision-making. Um, this is also amazing. So he was not allowed to fly on the team plane when Al Davis was the owner. It wasn't for any like thing he did that was weird. It was just kind of how they operated. So he would, he would buy three seats on Southwest, put reserved placards across two of them and then lay across them. And, <laughs> and that's, this is this, this is a $500 million net worth uh, guy who's going to own an NFL team. Um, and I just find it funny because, you know, one of the comments that, that I get a lot is Al, is Dennis Allen and Josh McDaniels are the same person. The Raiders and the Saints are the same organization. And while there are parallels in terms of what they're going through right now, like both guys, both teams went to an also-ran kind of head coach who failed at their first head coaching stop, and things haven't gone particularly well, right? Both, both guys felt like the quarterback that was in there was not the guy, so they went and got the quarterback they liked. Uh, Dennis Allen went and got Derek Carr. And Jimmy and uh, Josh McDaniels went and got Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy that he drafted with the Patriots, right? Like the, that's the quarterback that he was supposed to be able to be successful with. And the difference is, you know, the Raiders clearly were like, nah, this ain't it. This is not working. Whereas the Saints, I think the biggest difference in terms of ownership and the biggest difference in when you look at the corollaries between the Raiders and the Saints is that the Saints ownership is supportive. The Saints ownership from the from from Gail Benson down to Mickey Loomis down to everybody is all in lockstep in terms of what they're doing. You can disagree with what they're doing, but there's always support there. The coaches don't feel like they're being undermined by the ownership, and also you don't have uh you know Gail Benson's not out there peacocking and trying to get attention by having a weird haircut and and doing all these crazy things. So I don't I think that's the biggest difference to me is you're giving this guy a chance to succeed, whereas the Raiders. They, you know, they were yeah, like only one foot in at any point. But yeah, so the Saints don't have a peacocking owner. You know, the Saints also have a very strong understanding of who Dennis Allen is as a coach, right? Like there isn't this idea that he can do things that the team doesn't, isn't prepared for, right? Like they understand how he's going to operate. And while you could disagree with how he has been operating and maybe some of the decisions, you're not going to be able to disagree with the idea that this team is going to allow Dennis Allen to 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 do his thing, to work on the job. And I just think from a from a healthy ownership perspective, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see a team that's stepping in from the top level down and saying, "No, don't draft CJ Stroud, draft Bryce Young." Right? You, I, I think, for, like there's a lot of criticism of how the Saints have managed the cap and how the Saints have managed the draft. But, but I they think let everyone do their job. Right. And they let everyone do their job and they're consistent. Like they're not constantly waffling back and forth. And you see teams flail year in, year out by doing that, by trying, by not staying the course of what they actually believe, or in more cases, probably not knowing what they believe, just trying to say the right thing and react the right way at any given moment. And that's not a good way to operate, but that's how the Raiders have been over the last decade plus is like, this hasn't worked, so let's try this. This hasn't worked, so let's try this. And now 
they're they're where they are today. And I, I like Antonio Pierce. I think uh, you know, as growing up a Giants fan, he's he's one of the reasons they won a Super Bowl, right? So I think it's good for him. You know, anytime a coach gets fired and and you know a guy gets to step in and have that opportunity, that's a good thing. Like Dan Campbell with the Dolphins, right? I don't think Dan Campbell is a coach today if he didn't get that interim job with the Dolphins. So I, I mean, hopefully. For for him, that's kind of a stepping stone to a to a full time job. Guys typically don't keep the job. Like look at Steve Wilkes last year uh, with the Panthers. But either way, I, I just think you know it's kind of funny. And Mark Davis is a is a is a weird guy. That's you know long story short. That's the summary of that. Too long didn't listen. Mark Davis is weird. And yeah, like we were saying, the, the Raiders organization, man, they just continue to be a a sham. I, I you know what I, I'll, I will say, I thought they were heading in the right direction when they got Gruden. <laughs> I thought it was like he was going to at least get them back to, you know, relevance. They were successful for about five minutes, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah didn't, right. didn't didn't quite uh, work in the end. But all right, let's wrap up that segment. We're going to bring in Chris Emma, reporter for 670 to score and Odyssey covering the Bears uh, getting ready for week nine. Bears. Saints, Chicago in the Super Bowl. Who the heck is Tyson Fajan? We'll find out. In Stick the around Super Bowl. Inside. What? Super Dome. Did I say the Super Bowl? You said Super Bowl, man. Just, if you turn the roof upside down, it'll the be the NFC awesome. Championship. Here we come. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, Tyson Bajan in the Superdome. Uh, this 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 outro has gone off the rails. Anyway, this is inside Black and Gold. Stick around. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak, as always, alongside Steve Geller. We're going to bring in Chris Emma, reporter for 670 to score and Odyssey covering the Bears. And, you know, you know, Chris, I, it, the, the Bears always fascinate me. But what's more fascinating is we're, we're coming down here and the Bears are showing up and suddenly it's 50 degrees in New Orleans. It seems like they're just projecting the weather ahead of them just so in time for them to come down and be like, oh, it's not that cold. I mean, we'd love 50 degrees. It was like <laughs> high 20s and snowing at Halloween. Those kids who were trick-or-treating must have been miserable. Like, I mean, here in Chicago, and it was 80 a week ago, too. So we went straight from summer to winter here. Not great. So yeah. I would uh, I would love and savor some 50 degrees. For sure. Um, you know, something that, uh, you know, probably isn't being loved and savored right now is is the quarterback situation in, in Chicago in two and six. And it's just weird. Tyson Bajan, a guy I actually saw at the Senior Bowl, was mildly impressed with, but I didn't see I didn't look at him and be like, ah, that's the future starter in the NFL right there. So, I mean, what what has Tyson Bajan kind of shown over the two and a half games you've seen him and and what, what should the Saints expect there? <laughs> 
He's a great story, and that story's been told now plenty. I mean, undrafted kid out of D2 Shepherd University, uh, shattered D2 passing records. Statistically speaking, one of the greatest college quarterbacks of any different division, any level. Like, the guy had an unbelievable career. But the reality is, like, he's a little bit limited in terms of arm strength and arm talent. That's why he went undrafted. Like, that's it. He's got everything you wanted a quarterback in terms of makeup, in terms of the IQ, the smarts, uh, the moxie. I mean, this kid is just not phased by anything. Like, he overtook P.J. Walker for that number two role. The Bears were plenty comfortable with him being that guy behind Justin Fields and being one play away. Yeah, I, I texted with a scout uh, a couple weeks ago when Bajan first stepped in, and he said, look, this guy's got everything you want except for the arm talent. I think he, the word he was, like, used was like alarming lack of talent. He, just, he doesn't have that cannon of an arm. He's not that guy that's going to beat you over the top 60 yards downfield. They dropped that dime. But he's got everything you want in terms of uh, what it takes to be successful in this position. He's worked his butt off. He's going to be in this league for a number of years, I believe, whether that is as a low-end starter, as a backup. But good for him. I mean, this guy has maximized what he's been given. He's been put in this position because he's worked so dang hard. Like, even this offseason, during that break between the offseason program and training camp, like, he was running plays just in his backyard around some field in West Virginia, trying to understand every bit of Luke Getzey's offense. Like, He's put himself in this position because of the work he's brought into this point. Um, you're going to see a guy who's very comfortable, even in what's going to be the most intimidating atmosphere he's faced and probably will ever face in his young career. Uh, I think he's going to still look confident and comfortable out there. I'm curious, Chris, what's your feel on coaching with Eberflus and what's been going on this season? Obviously, I, I don't think we've ever seen like two assistant coaches go out the, the way we have this year and are, are we kind of with the stockpile of draft picks that that are now ahead is it kind of like almost signaling uh this could be the end for Eber, the Eberflus error already or is there confidence in him there no nah, there's not much confidence in him. it's <laughs> okay. just hey, look if five and 20 speaks for itself uh he used the term yesterday. He said, well, we won two of our last four games. It's okay. He still not won consecutive <laughs> games over 25 games as head coach. Right. Um, there's the understanding that he was taking over a rebuilding team. Uh, he was leading a young roster that was going to be a transition under the watch of Ryan Poles. And it was going to be a very difficult challenge for him in terms of building a winning culture here. 3-14 and 14 in your first year. You tear things down late October at the trade deadline. Uh, this team is really bare bones by the end of the season. They were down to second, third, fourth string in a lot of key positions. They were completely outmanned when healthy. And once you take guys out of the equation, they were completely lost. 3-14 and 14 was no accident. But they were supposed to be a lot better this year. Like, I'm not saying contention, winning the NFC North, but being there at that seven, eight, maybe nine wins, if everything really goes your way, and you're a team that's kind of on the outer edge of that last wild card spot, they're two and six. They've been horrendous for most of the season, and that's on the field. Off the field has been a disaster. I mean, you start the year with a horrible loss, you lose your defensive coordinator, just vanishes a week later. Say it's a resignation. We know there's a lot more to that story out there. You have Justin Fields call upon the coaching staff for a scheme that makes him, as he said, less robotic. You had Chase Claypool call out the coaching staff saying that they're not putting him in a position to be successful. He's traded days later. You just had loss after loss through this all. Now you get a second coach and the running backs coach, David Walker, that is fired this week for misconduct, as the team said, and not living up to a standard. We don't know the specifics. HR was involved. It does not seem good. Great. This is a reflection of Eberflus and the coaching staff. Like, 
oftentimes when these teams fall apart, you think it's a player thing and you got the wrong guys. Like you feel bad for the players. They've been kind of stuck in the middle of this. And this is a team that's been in transition, trying to find the fruits of these labors and some success down the road. They're not even close to that right now. It's hard to make a case for Eberflus going forward after this season. We'll see about uh, Ryan Pohl's general manager. He's a new president now, Kevin Warren, the former Big Ten commissioner. He's going to have a big say in this now. He came in a couple months back, did not hire the head coach and general manager. It's going to be a fascinating offseason here in Chicago. For now, nine games still left in the season. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure he doesn't mind not being the Big Ten commissioner right now. But, you know, I, I did. I think I made a joke the other day. Like, I bet one of the reasons that Josh McDaniels got fired is because he got his team got blown out by the Bears and, <laughs> and made the Bears feel like, oh, we got a chance. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. uh, this is a team that has struggled all year. And, you know, one of the things I've said about the Saints is in, whenever things are going bad, fans like to say, oh, so and so is losing the locker room. DA is losing the locker room, this and that. And what I usually say is, like, it's usually not that hard to spot when a locker room is kind of falling apart at the seams because the whole, like the theme of that is there are things coming out that, that you cannot control. And, you know, you're ending up having to fire people. And, you know, I, I guess it's like, it, I think Ryan Poles is safe in his job because he's a, he's a new GM. And I think he has done a pretty good job of asset collection. You could probably quibble with some of the picks that they've made, but, you know, I guess from, from your perspective, is this is the core of the Bears as it is currently with Justin Fields and kind of this offense? Is that the sustainable model that they're looking at, or do you kind of anticipate that this offseason you'll see? You know, you have, might have the two top picks in the draft based on how things go the rest of the way. I think that's how it profiles right now. Do you see them kind of resetting the deck a little bit with how things are structured? We'll see. Uh, look, this is a the, – the term you keep coming back to is the scouting term is blue town, blue chip players. Like mm. there's probably two or three in this entire roster. Good teams have 10 to 12. Like championship level contending teams have that many. This team is still so far away at the top of the roster and then certainly at the bottom of the roster where you just – that's where you really feel a rebuild is when you get down to the second and third levels of the depth chart and you see, oh, this is a guy who's not supposed to be on an NFL roster. Like, that's what it looks like. That's how you get to 3-14 and 14 at the end of a season like last year. In terms of the key positions, like Justin Fields, we don't know if he's going to be the starter moving forward or not. This injury has been a huge setback in terms of that evaluation. Like last year, you kind of punted on it because you didn't have a lot of talent around Justin Fields. He had to be spectacular in his own right without – being able to throw the ball to reliable receivers. And he was put in a really tough position. Like, they believe this year he was going to take off and thrive with it. He looked really shaky in those first three or so games of the season. Had a couple great games, eight touchdowns over the course of two games, a, a horrible loss to the Broncos where they collapsed, and then that win Thursday night in Washington a couple weeks back. And then he goes down with this injury, and he's about to miss his third straight start. It's going to be Tyson Bajan again. I, like I said, Bajan is a nice story, but I don't think he's anywhere near the answer for the Bears long term. But at this point, you don't know if you're going to get a true evaluation of Justin Fields and whether he's the guy long term. Like when nine, about to be eight games left for Justin Fields, if he's able to come back next week on a short week against the Panthers, you're still kind of left with ambiguity in that spot. Now, Jeff, you mentioned the idea of picking one and or two with the Panthers pick and the Bears pick. Sounds great. You'd love to get Caleb Williams. It makes your decision really easy. But, like, there's a lot of teams that are also gunning for that number one spot. I think the Cardinals are falling fast toward that. Keep an eye on the team like the Packers, who really look like a mess. Like, they could be looking to that. Like, there's a lot of teams that are going to be kind of low-key tanking for that spot. 
it's not a guarantee that the Bears can get Caleb Williams or Drake May, at which point you don't really know what you're going to do with the quarterback spot. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty there. It'd be great if Justin Fields came back from this injury, whatever it is, and just took off. And they built an offense around him. They fit everything for Justin Fields to be successful. All the moving pockets, all those quick decisions that he needs, and he thrives. And you just know for sure he's your guy. But they don't, they're not at that point right now. They're still a while away from making that decision. Uh, looking at the other side of the football, I think a huge surprise, probably for a lot of people, I'm not, especially Bears fans, 10 sacks for just, this season. It's like it's just unheard of for me to, to think of the Chicago Bears, Monsters of the Midway, you know, the, the organization, the whole mystique of the team. And they've got they, their last in the NFL with 10 sacks. What is going on there with the, the no pass rush going on? See, that's good for them right now. They had 20 last year. Their leading sacker was the safety in Jaquan Brisker. He had four. Like, you can't have that if you're an NFL team, if you want to be this style of defense. Uh, Matt Eberflus's defense is that kind of old-school Tampa 2 base where you're not really rushing five, six, seven, eight. Like, you're not bringing the house off, and you need to get home with four. They don't have four guys they can get home with at this point. That's why you make a deal for Montez Sweat. They made that aggressive trade at the deadline on Tuesday. They send the second-round pick over to Washington. Now, they don't have a deal for Montez Sweat. I think they're going to get that done. Ryan Poles, we talked to him yesterday, general manager, said they're confident. They're already working on that. Montez Sweat, for his part, said, I kind of want to explore things. I want to see through this all. He knows he has all the leverage in the world in this spot. They will get a deal done. That's a guy with six and a half sacks so far in eight games this season immediately becomes one of the Bears' best defensive players, if not the best defensive player, uh, bolsters that pass rush. Everything starts to function a little bit better when you get a guy like Montez Sweat in the building. Still 27 years old, the guy who's going to be really highly productive for a number of years to come. You feel really good about getting a guy like that in your building and in this defense. So that's the answer to a lot of problems. I mean, is the indication that he's going to play this week? He says so, yeah. Uh, Matt Eberfuss okay. is a little saying there's the ramp up. I don't know why there's there's no ramp up. This guy played has like you said six and a half sacks over eight games. He doesn't need any acclimation period, so he right. should be out there. He's already got his number, number ninety eight. I think you'll see him plenty on Sunday. Gotcha. And you know, obviously, you're switching sides of the ball. We've talked about the offense in terms of you know it's there's question marks all over it, but it does seem like when this offense has worked, it's been behind the run game. And you know, obviously, Justin Fields was there for. You know, some of those games, but against the Raiders, I think Deontay Foreman had a monster game. Um, I know it was Roshan Johnson and Deontay kind of last week splitting splitting carries. What is, the, you know, the key to that run game? Because I, I think that's probably if the Saints are worried about anything, it's the Bears getting traction on the ground and making life a lot easier on the rookie quarterback. Yeah, this is an offense that ran for over 3,000 yards last year. They they really, that was their identity. The basis of this offense was about right. running the football. It's been a little bit more difficult this year. Like, they lost Dave Montgomery in free agency. They wanted him back. He had a similar offer between the Bears and the Lions. Chose to go to Detroit, the division rival, because he knew they were going to be ready to win, and he made ultimately what's been the right decision for him. Khalil Herbert's on IR. He's not going to be out there Sunday. Roshan Johnson missed a couple games with a concussion. They hoped he would be the next man up. So, yeah, you've turned to Deontay Foreman quite a bit. This guy, like, you'd love a guy like this in the NFL, a guy who's been that veteran who hasn't had anything really handed to him. Like, he, when he's had that opportunity, like last year in Carolina, when McCaffrey gets traded, when Derrick Henry went down a couple years ago in Tennessee, he steps in and he just kind of continues to carry things forward. Uh, you, you love a steady veteran who understands his role and is just ready to step in like that. This guy runs tough. 
It's a downhill presence. He's a bowling ball when he gets to that second level. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going to see plenty of him on, on Sunday because that's what the Bears need out of him. They, they kind of got away from the run game on last Sunday night in L.A. when that game got away from them early. But if everything goes well, you're able to continue to run the ball and complement Tyson Bajan the right way by having Foreman and Roshan Johnson be those kind of reliable backs for you. I do, I do have one other quick question. Um, so I'm looking at the depth chart. And right now, right here, I do not see a backup listed for middle linebacker for Tremaine Edmonds. Who would be the backup middle linebacker if he doesn't go? Yeah, that'd be Jack Sanborn, the uh, second-year guy and undrafted rookie uh, for the Bears last year out of Wisconsin. Um, he stepped in. He's somebody who started potential. Like, this guy's a really steady player in that position. Um, not great sideline to sideline, but, you know, he's a straight-level player who's going to rack up a lot of tackles when he's out there. So uh, he'd be the next guy up. They did get good news on Tremaine Edmonds. He is considered day-to-day. He was avoided a more serious knee injury. We'll see about Sunday. I, uh, we're about to get out to practice here soon. I'll have a better sense of his availability then, but uh, I think he'll be probably a game-time decision for Sunday. How's Bajan's mobility? That's one thing the Saints have had issues with, guys that are kind of you know able to move around and, and get free. I don't think he's taken off much, huh? No, don't make me say deceptively fast. I don't want to do it. Like he, he can, he can get out the pocket, and make some plays. I, I got I you. Back in August, you're like, what, what's your style of play? Who do you model yourself after? He goes, look, I don't really model myself after any particular player, but I want to consider myself to be a playmaker. Like there's some, there's some pop plays of him running the ball in the preseason where he gets outside that pocket and. He's not blowing you away. He's not, you know, running by everybody, but he's got that ability to get some extra yards and make some plays. So you're going to see it, especially when the offensive line still kind of figuring it out and dealing with injuries. Right. Like he's ready to run if he needs to. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of comp him to another guy. The Saints are apparently going to have to face in Taylor Heineke. It kind of feels like a similar situation where it's like these are yeah. probably they're probably career backups. That's uh, a great, but yeah. you know they're getting chances in the yeah. NFL. I think Tyson was so Tyson was Shepard and Taylor was Old Dominion and not exactly quarterback factories. Um, <laughs> this isn't even a question; it's just something to to note. Uh, so the Saints they have Nephi Sewell on the roster. The Bears have Noah Sewell on the roster. So you're going to have a you're going to have a Sewell. I bet they trade jerseys. I, if I had to put money on it, I would guess that they end up trading jerseys after the game. <laughs> I'd hope so. Yeah, man. It's a cool – that's a football family. Uh, yeah. Noah's an interesting player for the Bears now. This is a guy who was really highly regarded, like a five-star type prospect at Oregon. One of those guys who kind of fell in the draft. He never really materialized into that player at the college level. They love his upside. Like, I, they just locked in two linebackers in Edmonds and Edwards long-term, but they love what Noah Sewell could ultimately be. And he's a really interesting developmental, developmental piece for this team. So you'll see him on special teams, number 44 out there. I don't think he'll be starting for Edmonds. I think that'll be Sanborn. But, uh, yeah, the Bears really like this guy. We like to get into, two, um, you know, going into the matchup. Is there a, a Bears player going into this game that could end up being a factor that maybe we haven't talked about. Not one of the bigger names. Uh, someone, though, that Saints fans should be wary of in this matchup. Yeah, uh, 13, Tyler Scott, the rookie out of Cincinnati, a fourth-round pick. He and Tyson Bajan have really good chemistry. Like, this is a guy who, obviously, because they were both kind of working with the reserve group throughout training camp, like, that was kind of his go-to guy. Uh, Tyler Scott's a guy who's really eager to step up with this offense. After the trade of Chase Claypool back in early October, like, Scott was kind of the next man step in, and you see his playing time continue to increase. He's really embraced this moment. Guy who's really well-liked as a rookie stepping in with this team. And then I'll, I'll say the obvious one, Darnell Mooney, the uh, the Tulane product, the guy yeah, coming home. Back in the dome. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be very excited to be back there. So 
I, I think he'll love to be a part of that game plan. And in addition to DJ Moore, you got a good young mix in that wide receiver group and basically can get them the ball and they can withstand a really tough defensive matchup. You might see a couple of those guys make some plays. Yeah, and then the good news for the Bears wide receivers is they don't have to worry about C.J. Gardner-Johnson antagonizing him anymore. You know, that's that's a good thing, right? You don't want your wide receivers getting kicked out of multiple games in a season. So, you know, they can deal with that. In God, that, that game feels like it was, like, ages ago. And it feels like it really actually never happened from the Bears' perspective. Uh, both of those, two, season, yeah. we got them twice in the same season, but in a playoff game. I mean, yeah. I thought you're going to get. I thought he was legitimately going to be released right after the game. Uh, I the, from the Bears side, I thought you might see people fire. Like it was just, it was so embarrassing for that team. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. 2020. It's a season that we'd all rather forget. So might as well just <laughs> swipe the sweat clean. Anyway, Chris Emma, reporter for 670, the score and Odyssey covering the Bears. Thanks so much for joining us to break this down. And uh, what what's your score prediction for this weekend? Before you go. I'm on Saints 27-13. All right. It's always telling like when, the, it. when the beat reporters are, are <laughs> predicting double digits. I got the world's covering, too. So. Yeah, it's, I think it's seven and a half points. I feel like that's a safe bet. Um, but, I, again, I, Chris, I thanks so much. I appreciate for that one. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks again to Chris Emma, Bears reporter for 670 to score and Odyssey. You know, a great breakdown there. And I think, you know, kind of what he what he says, I I do enjoy doing those interviews because I think you get a really good read on the confidence level of of the team when you talk to a beat reporter, because sometimes a team might be playing poorly, but you're going to get some some upbeat stories. You're going to say, well, this team is rounding into form. They're confident, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and sometimes you'd be like, are they, you know, but, you know, I think the Bucks came and was like, yeah, well, this is a team that's playing well right now. And, uh, you know, whereas, you know, sometimes you'll hear like that where it's like, oh, yeah, this team is is in trouble. You know, uh, this team is not is not doing not doing so hot. Um, that that was last week right when now. we talked to the Jags guest. He was very negative and we couldn't believe it. Like, wait a minute. You guys have been on a tear right now. And he's like. Man, I'm just not confident going into this game. They look exhausted kind of thing. Their tired team expects sloppy game for them. And I was like, well. Yeah, you know, I mean, it makes sense. But also, like, like I think uh, I said this at the time. It's like this is a team that doesn't. That doesn't know what's happening right now. We're like, well, what is this? This isn't what we do, and and you know, and that's kind of what you saw. It's like, oh wait, they are figuring it out, and they have a co- a coach and a quarterback that can get it done. And you know, it's just like that's that's not the vibes you're getting out of Chicago right now. And like, this is a game, you know, it's the type of game, like, like I said, I, I was halfway joking, but Josh McDaniels getting fired. Like, I do think that Bears game had something to do with it. I think when you go out and look that bad against the team that is in this bad of shape, uh, you know, that's, that's a terrible look for you. And it's a terrible look for the organization and no one wants to be embarrassed. And if you are going out there feeling like you're getting embarrassed, you're going to have to do something, right? Like fans are not going to stand for it. And so I think that makes this a dangerous game for the Saints. In terms of, you got all these positive vibes right now. Everyone's feeling good after that Colts game. The offense finally got going. If you go out there and you lay an egg and you and you look like the Raiders did a couple weeks ago when you lose to Tyson Bajan, uh, you know, the noise gets loud there too, right? So I think these are the types of games that's like they, they're, you have to win them because they are so winnable. And, they're, and not every game is like that, right? Like you hear all the time there's parity and, and teams, any team can beat any other team. And while that's true, if you want to be taken seriously, you can't allow that to be true in a game where 
this is a team that clearly does not feel confident in itself. It's starting a backup quarterback. It can't get pressure on the quarterback. It can't cover. They can't do anything well, really, unless it's Justin Fields running the ball. So, yeah, I mean, anyway, like we can talk about this more in the next segment. But I think this this is a game that it, the Saints should feel like we win this or there's hell to pay. Ain't no doubt about it. This is definitely one of those feels you're going into it. I, at least I do. It's definitely varsity versus JV going into the game. It's And you're at home. Yeah. And right, I don't want to hear, right, oh, right. they haven't been good at home. I don't care. You're still at home in the Dome against a, a clearly lacking team with a quarterback that's going to be in who knows and what kind of tizzy in that Superdome crowd because you know how hard it is to hear field level. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just saying, like, I don't see being at home as the advantage that it once was because this team doesn't play better at home. So it's like I almost feel worse about it in terms of men. They're more likely to come out flat for some reason. Anyway, let's wrap up this segment. Thanks again to Chris Emma for coming on. We'll come back and we're going to talk more about – I want to talk about Chris Olave a little bit and then talk about some of the quarterbacks they've faced and kind of this weird dynamic of, of not playing quarterbacks that you have any experience of watching. And, and then also get into X-Factors. So this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Hit us up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak, at Steve Geller, WWL. Check us out on YouTube at WWL Sports. And stay with us. We will be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. back on inside black and gold we're going to get into chris Olave a little bit talk about what he said this week we're going to get into x factors but first there, there is a bit of news that we probably could have hit in the first segment but i kind of spaced on but so jalen smith linebacker on the practice squad he is signing with the raiders and uh, you know it, i it's not a huge surprise i think he was your demario davis insurance and so when demario davis got hurt you had him active demario didn't need to didn't need to miss any time so uh, Jalen didn't get any time on the field and you know he decided to go out to, to out to Vegas and you know hopefully he can I, I'm sure you go sign there because you're because they're like we have a spot for you we are going to play you and so yeah it's just another it's just another example of you know veterans on practice squads if they don't get the opportunity then they, they can find a play a job somewhere else um, the Saints have replaced him with another familiar name in Corey Littleton so I think that, I mean, I think it's a wash, right? I think you're just kind of looking at it as this is a body that if you need him, he's, he's a good guy to have around, but that is a bit of news that happened today. Yeah. If you, if you see him, you know, you're in trouble because that means double D is not able to play. And you know, that man's able like, like a Cam Jordan, whatever's ailing him, he's going to try his damnedest to be on the field. And if he's not, there's no bueno. Yeah. And and then like, people are going to make a big deal out of not, out of not retaining Jalen. Yeah. Come on. He just doesn't, he didn't have a role unless you did right. not have Demario Davis. He was very specifically a Mike linebacker, a middle linebacker. And it's, you know, with what, when he was willing to stick around, great. If he's not, you know, it was always his decision to stay. And so, no, yeah, it was a nice anyway. option to have to break in case of emergency kind of deal. 
Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you'll see tweets of people like, oh, no, how could they allow this to happen? It just doesn't ever roll. Anyway, um, and like, I'm not convinced that he would have necessarily been the first option if Demario went down. Right, I think you would probably move Pete to middle linebacker and and figure it out. But Pete Warner, I should say. Anyway, so one thing I want to get into this week is Chris Olave, and you know, Oof. I would, I, I do want to credit. I want to give credit to New Orleans Football because you know, like I said in the, in the opening segment, he Chris talked simultaneously with Derek Carr talking. So I was out there, you know, talking to Derek, and so I wasn't able to get in and 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 record the uh Chris Olave I don't think the Saints were either I think it was just a couple of reporters who you know when you have multiple people you can kind of work around and they were able to catch Chris uh, I think he was trying to sneak back in I think I don't think he wanted to talk to reporters during the open locker room period and he was like oh Derek's talking that means I'm free to go to my locker but then he got, you know they they found him and they got him um and so yeah like I want to give credit to New Orleans football because that's where I was able to kind of catch up with his interview and and it was an interesting interview and I'm not going to play yeah. it but I will tell you excerpts from it because what what I think is pretty clear for anybody watching Chris Olave and this is his words is he's in a slump right now like and he can feel it like you know when it's happening like if you're a baseball player and you're going up to the plate and you you're one for your last 30 and you just know nothing's working and you're getting everything you're trying is failing and the stuff that you know how to do somehow you're still screwing that up it's you're in your head and sometimes you got to take a step back and like, you know, look at your form, you know, are you dropping your shoulder? It's, this analogy is continuing, you know, same thing with a shooter, right? Like sometimes you just got to take a step back and be like, okay, chill out. And you really just need one big performance. And, and that's kind of what Chris said. Yeah. He just having a bad go around from on the field and then even off of it with the speeding incident. <laughs> Here's his quote on quote, you know, that's about how he handles the adversity, blah, blah, blah. He says, that's just life, man. There's always going to be ups and downs. I've been in a little slump like the past month, but it's just the standard. I work hard in the offseason. That's just what life throws at us. I've just got to keep going. Like I said, adversity, just test your character. So I know I've got to get through it. One good game, that's going to allow me to bounce back. And I really do think that's what it is. Like one of the biggest struggles for Chris right now is he's just not confident in what he's doing. He knows how to do it. Like, that's the difference. You know, we talked about how Trevor and Chris are in similar situations. The bigger difference for Chris is that it's not a technique thing. He knows the technique. It's not like he's out there, like, not understanding what he's supposed to be doing. It's more he's just kind of – he's just having brain cramps, you know, and, like, things aren't clicking the way that they should, and he's pressing, and it's all – it's, you know, there's just things that are not working. He was asked about the ball that bounced off – his helmet and uh, the direct quote was, man, that shit looked hella goofy. I knew right after the play, I was like, damn, that shit was ass. <laughs> I ain't even see the ball for real. Uh, I saw it at the last minute. By the time I saw it, it kind of hit me in the helmet in the head. I always want plays like that back shoot. It was so open. It was something we'd been planning for like three weeks. So he we finally called it in a game and that shouldn't have been happening. But like I said, I'm in a slump right now, but I'm going to get back. So I can't wait to play on Sunday. And it was hell. It did look hella goofy. He's right. For me, the, the for me the worst play was the one of him going out of bounds instead of turning it up. Yeah, and I had I had someone say like, "Oh, they, he didn't know the guy fell down behind him." It's like so. Even if he had, why wouldn't you try to go upfield? No, it, right. And it's like simple things, simple things that you do one thing right, but even in the process of doing that right, you do something wrong. And right, uh, right. you know, like it, it's yeah, we've all been there. Everyone's had that. You're just Absolutely. in a funk, right? You're, nothing's going your way, and 
I do think that he's, you know, I think he's handling it pretty well. Like he's a young player. You know, you're going to have those moments where things just don't go right. And it's, you know, like Chase Claypool is a good example, right? Like Chase Claypool had a solid rookie season, but he, I don't think he mentally has what it takes to make it in the NFL, right? Like you're talking about a guy who in the two minute, in a two minute offense with the clock running, gets a first down and gets on a knee and like points. It's like, dude, get the ball back. Like they have to spike the ball. What the hell are you doing? Right? No, it's all about me, man. (laughs) Right. It's showboating stuff. It's like, it's like, yeah, you're making it about you. When, but I think Chris does a good job of kind of making it about the team and always kind of leading yeah. it back to like, I got to be better. And you know, whether he, you know, obviously this frustration, there's going to be frustration. But I don't think that like there seems to be this idea that that he's unhappy with how this offense is operating. And you know, and sure, maybe there is some there there is some issues in terms of he and Derek Carr aren't necessarily seeing eye to eye on everything. But I think when you're talking about Chris, if there's frustration that you're kind of seeing and experiencing, it's all geared about his own play. Like he's unhappy with the level at which he's playing, not the level at which people are playing around him. And I think that's a healthy way to approach it. And an unhealthy way would be to do the Chase Claypool thing of like calling out your coaches and then getting traded. Because you can get yourself traded. If you want to get traded, you can find a way. So yeah, anyway, uh, um, I was around. I was around the year in the locker room, and Brandon Cooks went. Closed right. mouths don't get fed. <laughs> right, right. I the knew right then. Wheel. I heard that, and I was like, "Oh, Sean ain't gonna deal with this shit." Squeaky wheel gets the grease, kind of situation. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, and well, the thing is, like, the Chris is getting fed. You know, and it, it's oh, like for sure. it might be a different situation if Derek was not throwing to him because he didn't trust him. Derek is doing everything he can to keep Chris involved in the offense. And I think Chris knows that, right? Like he's getting the targets. It's not a question of getting targets. And so it's just a question of Chris kind of doing his job the way he knows how to do it and, and being consistent about it. And, you know, I think that's that's kind of the where you're going. This is a DA was asked about uh, Chris again on the conference call this week. And uh, here's what he had to say. Every game you come out of, you're going to look at things and say, man, I could have done this better or that better. Um, and I think that's always what we're, what we're, what we're looking at and, and how, can we, how can we continue to improve. So I do think there were some good things that he did in the game. Um, I do think there were some things that, you know, probably subtly that, that a lot of people might not recognize, and yet we, we recognize. Um, and so I think, you know, with him, it's just about, okay, how do I take the ne- next step forward this week? And so um, – I think he's got a good mindset going into this week. I'm excited about watching him play. You know, he's going to be a big part of what we do, you know, offensively this second half of the season. How did he handle, you know, the coaching on stuff like finishing routes, attitude, body language? How, how has he handled advice on that kind of stuff? Yeah, he's been awesome. He's been awesome. He's taken uh, every bit of coaching that uh, that we've had for him. He's working, you know, really hard to try to, you know, improve himself and, and – and that's all that you can ask for. And and there's going to be opportunities that are going to show up for him, you know, in this last half of the season. And, and we expect for him to do some really good things. Look, there's a lot of things that, you know, we talked about last year, um, you know, not really making the contested catches. And I've seen that, you know, improve. So he's still a young player that's going to keep improving. I do, like, believe that when he says that. Like, I don't think that this team is looking at how Chris has performed and says – you know, I know Bobby, he even asked DA about it and was like, oh, do you kind of shuffle in terms of the primary reads because Chris is kind of inconsistent? And it's like, I don't think that they're going to. I think that they 
are committed to Chris Olave as the premier pass catcher in this offense. And he's going to get every chance to, to do the job. And so if I'm Chris, and I think he does realize this, it's like, no, I have to take advantage of these opportunities. And I think eventually one of, one of these weeks, you're going to see him go off. And it's going to, you know, you're going to see that 130, 150 yard game with a touchdown or two. Maybe it's this week, right? And maybe, and then you finally start to kind of see that confidence bubble up. And, you know, the, the wild thing is you're talking about a 300 yards, you know, 400, three games with 400 consecutive, three consecutive games with 400 passing yards. And you really haven't seen a ton from Chris in those three games. Like you've seen very, average you know pedestrian performances in terms of you know five six catches 60 to 80 yards one of these weeks you're going to see him go off and and it's going to look like it's supposed to look and I'm looking forward to it happening because I think Chris knows he's got it in him yeah kind of like we've heard uh, a few people say that they feel like the offense is almost there it was even you know going into this last week and we saw that you know finally five touchdowns show up and like you mentioned, Chris Olave really wasn't even a factor in the game. He sh- we should have had more points, but he ended up being the reason why there wasn't. I'm, t- I'm with you. I think there's a huge bounce back game for him uh, this week because of everything that's just going on. And hopefully he's able to, to reel it in and really focus on football right now because I don't, I don't know if it's a team thing, if there's something outside the building right now that's causing his distractions but the dude definitely needs to get the head on the shoulders right and let's play ball because this team definitely needs you. Although we, we've we seen a lot of growth in this offense last game. I'm, I'm hoping we see that obviously continue against Chicago. We got to have some consistency in putting back-to-back uh, performances together, obviously. You know, so one other thing, and we don't have to go deep into it because we're, we're kind of running up against the time here, but one thing that's that's been really interesting this year for just from my personal perspective is you're looking at the Saints and you're saying, man, they are going up against a lot of quarterbacks that they just don't know about. And it's not be- for lack of, you know, study. It's just like, when, well, what are you studying? So week two, you had the Panthers, you got Bryce Young, you had one week of tape, some preseason tape, but like, that's really not much to go off. You're just trying to figure it out. Week three, you got Jordan Love and the Packers. You got, you know, like two weeks of tape. That's about it. Some preseason, but like, you really don't know what you're doing. Uh, you did have a little bit of extra in terms of the joint practices there, but right, you know, right. I don't know. Uh, week week four, you got Baker Mayfield. All you have is three weeks of tape from him on the running the Bucks offense, right? Like not exactly a treasure trove of information when you're talking about how do we how do how do we take advantage of what they're going to try to do. Like by week four, you're still figuring it out, right? You don't even know. Week five, you got Mac Jones and the Patriots. Suddenly, you have a 34-point shutout. You know exactly what to do against Mac Jones. You've shut him down in the past. You shut him down again. Week seven against the Texans. I'm sorry, week six against the Texans. Like, you should have had a good, you know, amount of information on C.J. Stroud at that point. And, you know, so I'm not going to put that in the same category. But it's still a rookie quarterback. It's still limited right. in the sense of he's learning how to be a pro at the NFL level. So even that scouting, it's not like you can go back to the last time we faced him. They never faced him. Week week seven against the Jaguars, you know this is a this is a weird one. Uh, but you did spend the week not sure whether Trevor Lawrence was going to play, so maybe you did take some time and look at C.J. Beathard. Uh, either way, you should have been more prepared for what Trevor Lawrence was going to do. I don't think they were prepared for Trevor Lawrence to run because, like, even with a knee injury, he was fast. So that doesn't really count in the terms of what I'm talking about. But still, then week eight, you had the Colts and Gardner Minshew, a guy you have about two weeks of tape on, but you at least have some previous tape where you faced right. him before. This week, you get Tyson Bajant, 
a guy that you have two and a half weeks of tape on, you know, next week you're going to get probably Josh Dobbs, a guy you at best will have one week of tape on in a Vikings uniform <laughs> before you face him. And if it's not Josh Dobbs, then maybe Nick Mullins, a guy who have no tape on <laughs> in terms of like, it's just, it's weird. And then week 12, well, you know, you get a buy and right. then week, week 12, you're going to get Taylor Heineke, a guy who you will at best have what two weeks of tape on. So it's just kind of weird. It's bizarre. You don't, there's just like, I think the Saints are actually a, a, a very well, you know, a well-oiled scouting machine in that way. Like, I think they do a very good job of churning tape and figuring out what people like to do and taking things away. And you just haven't had the luxury of doing that this year. Now, there's two ends of that coin, two sides of that coin in the sense that they're also not going to be good in that offense because they haven't run it either. So it's not like they're having a, a distinct advantage by starting a rookie. But I do think it it could be what's contributing to some of the difficulties early in games with, you know, the Packers and the Patriots notwithstanding, right? Where it seems like offenses can get you a little bit early in the game when you're not necessarily prepared for what they're going to do. And I think that's what happened against Gardner Minshew, right? I think they're changing up things is when you've only got two weeks to go off of. That's not even a trend. That's just what they've done, right? Not even like, well, that didn't work. We're going to change it. Well, what are they going to change it to? We don't know because we've never seen it. So I don't know. I, I think that's an interesting factor for this season in particular. And I think it might be contributing to some of the some of the defensive struggles in that, you know, like when you know what, like Dennis Allen said that this week is like, I think when the Saints defense knows what to expect, they are very effective. When they're caught off guard, they have not been. And that's what's happened each of the last three weeks in the first half is things didn't go the way they necessarily expected. And they got beat. They figured it out as the game went on. And I just think I think the scouting, the lack of the lack of, you know, kind of empirical information about how these offenses want to operate with this quarterback is is limiting. I'm hoping just in the, this matchup, we haven't really, I feel like, seen the defense punish a quarterback this season, it's time to lay down some wood and back in the dome, uh, set a tone, be extra aggressive, whatever it takes. Just I, I want to see Bajan have an, a, a total uncomfortable time uh, from the crowd and from the pass rush. <laughs> I agree. I know I, I'm taking, so I do this, this picks pool every week. I get five picks and last week I took the saints. So yeah, I went four and one last week. I had a good week. The only game I lost was the, I took the giants over the jets and I should have won that. Like the giants, had that game won, I, I'm just not entirely sure how they lost it. But uh, the, the Saints are seven and a half favorites, point favorites this week. And if this game is within eight points, I think that's a disappointment for the Saints. Like I think <laughs> this is the this is the type of team that you really want to kind of take to the ground and just beat the shit out of. Right? What's, like what's, cra- what's crazy when you look at obviously the numbers and just stats, both teams. Both teams average 21.4 points a game. Both, I mean, that's wild to me. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. the Saints offense is hopefully trending in the right direction right now. Well, but when, when your defense is allowing a lot of points, you're going to score more points, right? Like, that's true, right. It doesn't necessarily mean your offense is, is better. It just means that they're getting a lot of opportunities, right? And they're constantly coming from trying to come from mind. But anyway, let's, let's go and let's get X factors. Let's do it quick because we've been, we've been on here for an hour. Okay. So let's start on the defensive side. And, and so, Steve, what is your defensive X factor for this game? I'm going to go back to the D-line once again. You know what? I'm going to say Brian Brzee. I, I like what he's been showing uh, a lot lately, and I think that he's going to be one of those dudes that has the impact on the pressure that I'm looking for right up the gut, getting in Bajan's face, and hopefully causing a turnover. I think he was a big factor of uh, when the pick was thrown last week. 
uh, he was in, uh, getting in the grill of uh, Minshew. Yeah, one thing I, I've liked about Brian Brzee so far is, you know, even when he's not getting to the quarterback, he's affecting the throw. You know, right. he's batted down several passes. And, you know, that's just, you know, when you're facing teams that play a lot of quick game, that's a that's an important thing to be able to do, right? Like, TJ Watt was always was one of the best at it. Cam Jordan has traditionally been one of the best at it in his career. So, you know, that's a, like when you're a rookie, I think it's easy to forget those kind of little details of like, oh, I'm just going, I'm going, I'm going. It's like, no, I'm not getting there. Get your hands up. Make it more difficult. I think he's done that well. Um, my X factor is, you know, and I talked to Chris, when we, when we talked to Chris earlier in this podcast, this is kind of, a guy I got into this. You got to be able to stop the run. And you got to be able to stop them on first down and force them into third and long. And then if you can get them into passing downs, you can get some, you can get some sacks, right? Like that's the thing that no one talks about. They act like sacks come in a vacuum. It's like, no, you get sacks when you force passing situations and then you pin your ears back and you go, you know, the Saints defensive line is always going to be a run first type situation. They're not going to just throw caution to the wind and send blitz after blitz and, and give easy reads. They're going to force you to make to beat them doing what they do best. So how do you do that? Well, you got to stop the run, right? That's the the Colts game. It was a lot closer than it should have been because of those two long runs in terms of that's 10 of their points that you set up, you know, and realistically it should have only been six, but they decided to give them that free, uh, that free um, extra play from the fourth and one, which they initially didn't want to take. And then they lost five yards and they got five yards back and they were like, well, now we got your defense to go off the field and take a breath. So now we're going to come get you. I thought that was an interesting way to approach that, but yeah. And so to me, if you can stop the run, if you can make sure that Deontay Foreman and Roshan Johnson don't get any traction whatsoever, there's no way this bears team beats you. It's impossible. They can't do it. The only way the bears can win this game is by running the ball and forcing turnovers. And so if you can keep the ball in your hands and also stop the run, you're going to win this game by double digits, in my opinion. You would hope so, obviously. I think I, I compared it to, you know, it's like varsity versus JV in this game. And yet yeah, we know sometimes teams have that terrible trait of playing down the competition. We don't, that can't happen. This team is, right. it's too important for this team right now to overlook freaking anybody at this point. And the the, the win streak to close out the end of this season has to happen right now. If you want to gain momentum in the division, in the conference, just in general to keep up with the Joneses in the NFC. No doubt. Let's move over to offense. Give me, give me your quick uh, offensive X factor. I was trying to find the numbers. I, I, um, I had them earlier, but Mike T has historically had some pretty big games against the bears. So I'm looking for uh, Michael Thomas to have a, a pretty big day you know, receiving yardage wise and even getting into the end zone. I just think um, he's Mr. Reliable right now on this offense for sure. And I think Derek Carr obviously can trust him. Yeah. So the X factors to me, it just turned into like prediction o'clock. And uh, <laughs> so to me, I think this is the week that you get Jamal Williams rolling. I think that, Ooh, you know, I like that. I, you haven't really, you know, you saw him kind of get on track a little bit last week. You got that action. And I think this is the kind of kind of game where you're going to be just, you're going to be getting out to a lead and then just ice in the climb and, and just grinding out drives and especially in the second half. And so I think this is going to be a Jamal Williams game where you get Alvin a little bit of rest. You know, you won't necessarily need him for 25 touches. So hmm, should I can, grab Jamal in fantasy? You know, I, I it's tough to start running back right any now. week, any week when you don't have when Alvin's there. Right. But I actually think to some extent, he has a better chance to score when Alvin is there because, 
you know, when he's not a three down back, but he right. is an elite power back and he's elite chain mover. And so I, I think that you're going to, this could be a game where you see a cut, like two, maybe three touchdowns from him in terms of you're getting down into the red zone and you're just pounding it and you're taking away their soul. And it's Jamal who's doing that. So, you know, I, I, I think that's you know, the soul. I love it. Not unlike Taysom last week where yeah. that's how you were able to operate. I think this is a game where you can just run downhill and make life miserable. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, 100 yards a lot, yeah, maybe 60, 70 yards. You know, I don't know, maybe maybe 100 yards. Maybe this is the 100-yard Jamal Williams game. Maybe it's like the, the, the Broncos game a few years ago where Latavius Murray got on track and he just had a couple long runs. And, you know, I think two touchdowns and, you know, 100 yards would be my – if I was making a bold prediction – yeah. That would be it. As Jamal Williams goes off in this game, and we'll have to see. And if it does, if you hit on this one like you hit on Taysom. I'm taking you to Vegas, baby. <laughs> or so shoot, we'll we, say, got, yeah. we got Harris locally. What am I talking about? You're gonna have to show. Yeah, right. I'm gonna have to show Jamal this clip and say you 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 owe me. You owe me. No, uh, we'll we'll see. But that's my guy. My Jamal Williams is my guy for this week. Maybe that's how we could. You know, X Factor is kind of overdone. We should probably. I think one way we could do it is like, so, so say like my guy, who's your guy for this yeah, matchup? Guy kind for of explain right. why. I think that I might like be it. a better way to do it. Cause X factors kind of sounds, you know, it's everyone does it. So maybe, maybe that's what, maybe that's what we'll phrase it, frame it as next week, but all right, that's it. Anything else you want to throw in before we move on here? No, let's get the streak started for sure. I'm ready for some winning football and winning podcasts. Yeah, baby. That's it. That's all I got. That's all the money will rain down on us. I need more coffee. All right. I need to go down and and eat some of those Starbursts that still got hanging around. Getting a sugar rush. Um, For for like Halloween, you're more of a a non-chocolate guy or no? You just happen to mention Starbursts. No, chocolate. I I actually don't like sugar candy. I'm not a sugar. I don't don't consume a lot of sugar in general. It's kind of like the one healthy thing that I do is like I don't drink soda or so like yeah, I, I I've never been a fan of sugar candy. Claire, Claire, my wife likes sugar candy, so she she keeps it's like the one thing she can keep in the house that I won't eat. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have an entire bag of of like uh, Kit Kats and and Reese's, and it's like I need to get them out of that. Like that's what I think some kids don't re- like. Like kids think, oh, I want to get there early while they have all the good stuff. They're like, no, no, you want to be the last one, and then you dump it because what what the kids just can't wrap their head around is. I don't want this candy in my house. I want it gone. So if you are the last kid coming through, you're getting half a bag of, you know, fun size Snickers bars. Cause I don't like, it's like I'm, I try, like I'm at the age where I'm like, I need to be reasonably healthy so that I can, you know, not die every, every week. And like having every time I walk by the bag in the kitchen, I'm just like, Oh, well, well, it's just one more Kit Kat. I'll end up having eaten the equivalent of like 12 Kit Kat bars in a day. That's the, um, <laughs> that's the bad part about fun size. Cause there's so much fun. You just keep opening them. Well, right. Like if it was a full Kit Kat, I would be like, yeah, you know, maybe not I'm now, good. but it's like, Oh, it's only, it's only one, which is essentially just a half a Kit Kat bar. <laughs> so by the end of the day, I'll have eaten like five full Kit Kat bars. I'm like, that's not, that's not great. I'm going to have to go for three runs today. Yeah, Kit Kat and Twix are in my one. hierarchy. Yeah, anyway. Also, before we go, would you like to see the, the dog in the cone? Oh, that's right. How'd it go? It's Pooch time. This is our biggest our biggest hits right now. Oh, Poochie with the cone of shame. I know. <laughs> He's so miserable. Uh, yeah, I could use a nap too, Pooch. She did find a way to get up on the bed. Normally, I would say don't get up on the bed, but, you know, it's like a treat. <laughs> right, right. 
I was honestly kind of impressed that she was able to climb up there with the cone. Like, I was worried yeah, she was going to get halfway and then like flip over. Anyway, so that's the uh, that's the dog. Okay, now I got to take her outside because I've activated the dog. All right. So uh, I already asked you if anything else. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on this episode. We got a little sidetrack. Yes, it's been a weird day. It's 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 a weird month. It's cold. It's I don't I don't know. I'm all I'm all out of all out of sorts here. Anyway. This is Inside Black and Gold. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> at Jeff underscore Noah. I can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL if you haven't subscribed yet. Come on, do that. Why? Why? Why not? What do you? What else you got? What else you doing? If you haven't, don't follow us on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube, ring the bell at WWL Sports. Check out WWL.com for the latest news, notes, and analysis. Check out Sports Talk four to eight p.m. Monday through Friday. Steve's on there. I'm not. They don't like me. But I am on the broadcast, so check that out. Steve's got the pregame to the pregame show, then the pregame show, then the postgame show, and I show up in between that sporadically throughout the broadcast. You're on, so. you're on pregame this week because we're home. Oh, my gosh, I am. Well, not the pregame show, the pregame to the pregame show. The pregame. Yeah, the pre-pregame at 8, 8 a.m. Uh, so, yeah, it's... it's uh, 8 a.m. inside the Superdome. And this is going to be one of the times that we can actually get the postgame pod done on the night of the game. Holy cow. Yeah, it's exciting. So we don't have to worry about Mondays. Anyway, that's it. That's it. Let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, who that? Go Saints. Let's go Saints, indeed.